Hello, greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're glad for your interest in spiritual things. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. I think that you would probably agree with me that there are very few issues that are as complicated and fraught with difficulty as sexuality. There's all kinds of different feelings about it out there. A lot of people think about it, a lot of people talk about it, but not at church and not among the people of God, and this can cause great difficulty. And it's quite tragic, considering that God and Christ, in the Bible and in our creation, establish a very healthy sexuality, and also many connections between theology and sexuality. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, God made man and woman in our image, in God's own image. He made them in chapter 2 and verse 24, that a man leaves his father and mother, clings to his wife, the two become one flesh. We're told in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, that God's divine nature is manifest in the things that he has made. And that's very clear in man made in his image. And God is one in relational unity in John 17, 20 through 23, where Jesus can pray for the Father to be in him as he is in the Father, that he would be in believers as the Father is in him, that we would all be perfectly one. And so there's this deep relationship, we call it perichoretic, from perichoresis, an idea of mutual indwelling. That the Father can indwell the Son, and the Son can indwell the Father, and yet they remain distinctly the Father and the Son. And we think about humanity. What connection, what relationship is closest to that? Well, when a man and a woman, in marriage, being two, become one flesh, in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And Paul will make this analogy explicit in Ephesians 5. 31, quoting Genesis 2.24, and then saying that the mystery is profound, and he says it refers to Christ and the Church. And so human sexuality is created as good, and has its good purpose in the covenant of marriage and of a man and a woman becoming one flesh. It's that glimpse of that perichoretic relational unity that reflects the unity within the Godhead in a very dim way. <clears throat> and procreation as a, as a consequence of, of human sexuality. And in fact, children are embodied representations of the two becoming one flesh, since each child has uh, characteristics of the mother and the father, physical, genetic, also mental, emotional as well, as God himself shared in love within himself and created offspring, made in his image, Acts 17, 26-29, we are called his offspring. And so the Bible does actually have a lot to say about sexuality, and connects it in a very powerful and important way to how we understand as ourselves as made in God's image and really even understanding some things about God. On the other hand, our culture has, has very different views about sexuality and there's lots of ways in which our culture perf- perpetuates and justifies a counterfeit sexuality. One that's supposedly, and in the eyes of everybody in culture, good and healthy and right, but in really is broken, is depraved is degraded and impoverished. And there's many ways in which we can talk about such things, but there's also an interesting illustration that we could use to help us understand a few things about human sexuality in modern Western culture. And that comes from the Tower of Babel. I think it might be strange to compare Tower of Babel to sexuality, but let's just give it a shot here. In Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, we read... Genesis 11 and verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And Yahweh came down and to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And Yahweh said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there Yahweh confused the language of all the earth. And from there Yahweh dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now we see that this happens in Genesis chapter 11. This is after the flood, in chapters 6 through 9, and we're told there that, in fact, the flood is because God has punished the world because of man's great iniquity, that every thought and intention of his heart was evil continually. And so, man has come up from that bottom, but isn't doing a whole lot better. We're told they have one language. And they gather in this plane, they make bricks, they, they, they make this city, uh, they make this huge tower, God sees it, God says, this is only the beginning of what they will do, and so he confuses their language. And thus the name of the place is called Babel, because that's where language was confused. And so Babel is the confusion. Uh, in Greek, it's Babylon. And really, the Tower of Babel being built there will define Babylon throughout. Because in Jeremiah 50 through 51, uh, is a great example. You can see this in other passages in the Old Testament where Jeremiah condemns Babylon under the Chaldean Neo-Babylonian Empire because of the things that they have done against the people of God. Yes, God brought them against uh, Israel, but they vaunted against Israel. They claimed Marduk gave them success, and they arrogated against God. And so God was going to condemn them for that. <coughs> and then in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, in the New Testament, 600 years later, very strange reference, where all of a sudden Peter says that the, 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 the sister in, in Babylon greets you. And Babylon, I mean, uh, Babylon by that point was was very much in decay, having been over eclipsed by Setesiphon, uh, the capital built by the Seleucids. And, and yet Peter most likely does not actually mean Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. Instead, he's probably speaking of Rome, because later in Revelation 17 and 18, uh, there's a great whore, Babylon the Great. And all the nations of the earth commit uh, fornication with Babylon the Great. And uh, John vividly sees the destruction and the mourning lamentation over the destruction of Babylon the Great Whore, uh, who's drunk on the blood of the prophets and saints. And so yet again, Babel, is being used to describe Rome here. And the Rome is seen in terms of Babylon because what is Rome doing? It is claiming power of the people of God. It is arrogating itself against God. Um, it is trying to make a monument of its own greatness against God. And so you have this metaphor embodied over and over. Babylon uh, as, as this resistance of man to God's purposes and God, man's resistance to the limitations that God has imposed upon his creation, and resistance to the way God orders things. And 
it, it really becomes this range of things where you see a civilization and the benefits. Uh, we, we tend to take civilization for granted, and, and certainly there are a lot of ways in which we can appreciate civilization. But there's always this skepticism about civilization, because civilization is its own way of man trying to order things according to his own patterns, contrary some, many times to what God would intend and, and, and to the patterns God has established in his creation. And it is through civilization that man attempts to dominate the creation, and thus in some way attempt to challenge what God is doing in his creation. And really, you can use this idea of Babel. And, and the, the civil and elements of civilization that are like Babel, monuments to their own greatness, uh, in, in a wide range of things. You think about all the monuments people build to various things that have happened in the past and, and for their own purposes. And it certainly is reminiscent of Babel. Um, and where man is trying to maintain this illusion of control in the face of, of all kinds of daunting challenges. Uh, but he does it not to advance God's purposes. Instead, he, he tries to maintain this control to make it, build a name for himself, to make, to, to make something for his own greatness, and, and lest he have to accomplish the purposes of God. Uh, so there's a whole range of things. We could spend all kinds of time talking about various ways in which we can apply Babel to modern life. But let's content ourselves by looking at a few of the ways in which uh, Babel is related to human sexuality. And in fact, I'd like to suggest that many of the modern cultural trends in sexuality are only can be understood in light of this ability to, so, to supposedly control and manipulate elements of sexuality and its consequences in a way that can be reminiscent of Babel. As we continue this conversation, it's good to have a disclaimer. It's very easy in conversations like these where we're looking at the darker side of things, like civilization, things that otherwise in our culture are displayed as just unvarnished goods, and to look at some of the dark side that we're trying to be overly negative or that we're trying to condemn or be judgmental. And uh, there's some ways in which we need to do that, as we're going to see, uh, but it's not necessarily wrong in all circumstances. Uh, for instance, uh, when the people in Shinar began building bricks and making a city, uh, that was not condemned. In fact, uh, there will be many cities that will be built. In fact, uh, you cannot consistently condemn civilization in the idea of cities because uh, Jerusalem, Heavenly Jerusalem, by the end of Revelation, uh, stands as the city of God, the people of God. Um, so, civilization is not all evil. We can't just paint with too broad brush in these things. The problem the people had was not that they built a city, or that they even built a monument. It was why, what they were doing, and what, why they were doing it. Their attitude, mentality, and purpose were what were fundamentally wrong, kicking against the goads and fighting against everything God had set up. And that's also true with a lot of these things that we're going to discuss. Uh, some of the things we're going to talk about, Christians participate in, and some of them have pro provided great benefit to Christians in many ways. And so uh, we, we can't just make blanket condemnations, um, but we still need to take a look at these things. Uh, to, to see if perhaps in some ways we have tried to exercise control beyond our standing and what may be lost in the process. And, and the first way in which we can look at this is the whole idea of contraception and fertility treatments. Uh, at another time, we talked about how our modern culture has turned sex into a god. And at that time, we kind of looked at how there's been this powerful trend throughout time um, where humans have made a god out of fertility or a goddess out of fertility. And what's ironic about that, and 
is that all these ancient cultures uh, divinized fertility and, 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 and saw the connections and the parallels between sexuality and uh, fertility of soil, fertility of people, etc., etc. And yet in our culture today, um, there's barrenness in, in, in sexual excess because of the development of contraception. Uh, that, that modern Western culture celebrates sexuality not because of fertility, but by attempting to restrict and control fertility. We need to be honest about something. Modern cultural expectations about sexual behavior and relationships are only possible because contraception is widely available and widely used. That, for the first time in human history, childbearing is seen as a choice for married couples, not just a consequence of being a married couple. That young people are given the impression that they maintain full control over their sexuality, the consequences of their sexual behavior, and how and when they will develop a family. Uh, whereas in previous generations, uh, if you engaged in, in sexual behavior, there would be a pregnancy most likely not long after. Um, and, and therefore there would either be a marriage and then having that activity and therefore having children, or you have the uh, quick marriage because there is a, a woman with child, etc., or in such ways. Um, these days, uh, because of contraception, those relationships can extend, whether they are legitimate or illegitimate, those relationships can extend for many years before uh, there are children. So marriage can thus be pushed off in our sector culture, which does not necessarily think sex has to only exist within the marriage covenant, and uh, whereas many used to marry around 20 to 22, now it's 26, 27 is the average time of marriage, and there is this cultural expectation now that you will enjoy this period of extended adolescence through college, you'll have some experimentation, you're going to learn who you are, and then you're going to find a good, decent relationship towards your late 20s, that you're going to get married in your late 20s, maybe early 30s, uh, you're working through your career so that you're ready to have your children in your mid to late 30s or perhaps early 40s. Uh, throughout this process, if there is a kind of quote-unquote mistake that a, a woman gets pregnant, well, there's, an, there's the opportunity to get abortion because, after all, it, the time is not yet right in that woman's life or career path or etc. to deal with the burdens of childbearing and therefore, or child-raising, and therefore uh, we get rid of that problem, so to speak, um, until the time is right, quote-unquote, in their life to have kids. Now, uh, the challenge comes up, though, that if you're waiting till your mid to late 30s to have children, uh, a lot of times there's going to be complications and difficulties. Uh, and, and because of that, there are now fertility treatments. Uh, and the complications and difficulties exist there. That Yes, it's true that the fertile range of human females is from 15 to 45. Uh, the body is best designed to have children from about 20 to 35. Uh, and, and culture kind of says, well, through that time, you shouldn't be having kids. You need to be developing a career. You should be figuring out who you are. You should also be having all these relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And so fertility must come later. Uh, by the time later comes around, it's not ideal time. And so now there's these technical developments that come in through all these various therapies that are used uh, in order to now allow fertility to take place now that the time is right, so to speak, uh, according to the cultural dictates. Uh, furthermore, this also allows for the quote-unquote non-traditional families to also have children. The only way that a gay family can be made is through perhaps adoption, 
but more likely, uh, some level of surrogate parenting, uh, whereby there is a, you know, some kind of donor from some uh, other person, uh, and one of the partners bears the child, or in, in many circumstances, you have the, the woman, the, the person bearing the child uh, does not actually have the genetic material of that child, it actually comes from other people. Uh, and these things are only possible through modern technology. You would not be able to have a family, quote-unquote, of those who are are, are the same sex uh, without it. And even if somebody has children, there's there's family planning. That, that there, all the control is of the size and nature of the family is given to the mother and the father. And with the ex- growing distance that's happening between uh, seeing children, this is just what happens in life. That now that's being seen as a choice. There's a, a militant movement in, among many uh, to challenge why why we should be even having children because of how much children uh, uh, are seen as drains and, and, and demands upon the life of the parents, especially the mother, and that that's that, that the woman cannot reach her full potential because she has to give so much to her offspring, even though of course that is exactly the point, and that there is great merit in that. Now, this is not a blanket condemnation of any use of contraception and fertility treatments. This is just pointing out how our culture has used these things. <coughs> and how we have cultural expectations in our in our society that are only possible because all of these forms of technology are, are, are taken for granted. This is not an attempt to return to some mythical glory day in the past. Uh, because there's a lot of other things going on that we need to consider. Um, some Christians have taken uh, their concerns about these things to the extent that uh, no, none of these contraceptive things or everything else should be used. Uh, the whole quiverful mo- movement is predicated on the idea that you should have as many children as you can. And again, there's not necessarily a blanket condemnation of that either, but just a realization that we've already put our thumb on the scale, so to speak, in terms of population because of modern medicine. Um, whereas people 100 years ago, 200 years or 300 years ago might have a ton of kids, odds are, statistically, that many would have lost many in childhood uh, or in other times because of illness, war, famine, or some other problem, uh, of which rarely do we have those situations come anymore. That, in fact, we, we have to give thought in our culture about responsibility and stewardship about childbearing and raising uh, can we support our families um, can we work and, and do what we need to do in order to do that First Timothy 5, 8, 2 Thessalonians 3, 15, etc uh, that there is a point at which the planet will no longer be able to reasonably sustain the constant human multiplication there are built in features that are going to make sure that when we hit that wall that we recognize we've hit that wall uh, those are going to be very unpleasant and very dire uh, but we can do well, and, and need to think about these things about in terms of Babel, just for a moment to see that, like in Babel, man's building this tower for his own greatness and, and, and attempting to establish the control of not having to be spread out everywhere, and that's what's going on a lot of times with contraception and fertility treatments, the attempt to control procreation and to make it quote-unquote fit into expectations as opposed to having people's expectations fit around children and around the consequences of sexual behavior. Uh, contraception allows for the exercise of sexual lasciviousness without one of its most potent consequences in pregnancy. And because of that, it becomes very easy for a lot of people to treat sexual behavior with a lot less concern and significance, uh, where sexual behavior doesn't seem so deviant anymore, and the consequence is not nearly as dire, despite 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. 
Let's think about it. Nobody talks about pro-abortionists. No, they call themselves pro-choice. Choice. Choice as control issues. And it doesn't take very far to go from choosing when to have children to making children themselves the choice. And when you start talking in those abstractions, uh, a child, it's very easy to justify uh, the death and the killing of a child because it's just this abstraction, this choice that you have because you're exercising control over, over yourself. Uh, choices can be very easily rejected or eliminated without a lot of concern. And... You know, fertility treatments in, in various forms do allow many in relationships to have uh, offspring, uh, even if they would not otherwise be able to do so. And, and in some ways, that has provided many blessings and benefits. Um, on the other hand, a lot of times, it, it's also caused great consternation and, and has led to much more ethical, thorny questions. What are you going to do with all these frozen embryos, So, for instance? And... Um, all kinds of other issues that can come up. And so, when you got so much manipulation going on, the idea of the natural order of things. Well, what is the natural order of things anymore? When we've when we've got all these different human developed manipulations of the whole system. And again, when you look at the scriptures, celibate people are childless for understandable reason. Barren people are childless, the infertile, and they struggle, and they are great grief because of that. And they should be comforted, and and their grief alleviated. But it's interesting to note that there's expectations that married couple have children. Uh, in First Timothy three one through twelve, an elder uh, is the husband of one wife, and his, and his he has children. In First Timothy five fourteen, talking about younger widows, uh, Paul does not want them to be enrolled because they are to marry and have children. That's just the expectation that existed, which was consistent for the time. And we have to at least ask the question. Are we manifesting healthy sexuality if we prove more than willing to enjoy that glimpse of that pericardic relational unity in intercourse, but inhibit the consequence of intercourse and the offspring that bears the image of both in one? And as we see in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and Acts 17 and 28. Sure, children are very challenging at times, there's no doubt. Uh, but there's a lot of lessons that you only learn through the experience of having children. And at least or at least the attempt of trying. And what does it say about us if we are going to go along with culture as it stands against God's purposes that he has manifest in the creation in his word, denying that childbearing is a blessed thing and that children are blessings, and resisting the time frames that God has imposed through how he has made us? Well, again, we need to keep in mind that uh, contraception and fertility treatments have provided benefits and relief to people around the world that we no longer live in an agriculturally developed, dominated society beset by plagues and famines and wars, and should Christians be multiplying at excessive rates? And again, these are difficult questions, and we need to approach them with spirit humility and non-condemnation, but to, to really qu- ask ourselves, what is motivating me to make the decisions I'm making in terms of this? Uh, is this from God or is this of the world? Is this a type, Am I going along with the babble? of control here, uh, thinking that we have control over these things, and what are some of the consequences that will come from the way that I, I, I participate in this behavior? Uh, and that's true for either way uh, in, in these in these discussions. <coughs> Another way in which Babel becomes a fruitful metaphor for us in terms of sexuality is in terms of, of the idea of gender identity and transformation. Um, so as we've seen, humans already now take for granted that we have control over the consequence of sexual behavior. And now many are believing they also have control over the expression of gender. 
Now, there's the, some in the feminist movement who strongly believed and believe that gender does not actually exist. That gender actually is something that's just culturally conditioned. Now, on a scientific basis, at least, that suggestion is really not taken seriously anymore because there is a genetic basis for gender. And if you have children, no matter how much you try to raise certain children in certain ways, they're going to express that kind of gender. Uh, there is probably some environmental, cultural elements of, of gender identity. Uh, but it, it would be inaccurate on a scientific basis, and, and probably on a cultural basis, to say that gender is entirely culturally conditioned. But our new flashpoint issue of dispute in our culture is the condition and standing of those who believe themselves to be transgendered or transsexual. Those who manifest one gender physically, but believe themselves to be mentally or emotionally of the other gender. Now, because of hormone therapies, a person with a feeling like that can, quote-unquote, try to transition from male to female or female to male to some degree or another. <coughs> and it's not hard to imagine that we're not too far away from the days when somebody could make a complete transformation or somebody could be physically male and be made to be completely physically female or vice versa. What are we going to say about these things? Well, like sexual desire, it's probably likely also with understanding of bio gender. There's biological, physiological aspects to it, and there are developmental aspects. As we saw uh, in, in a previous conversation about sexuality in light of the fall, in Romans 5 and Romans 8, when sin and death enter the world, corruption enters the creation, and everything is subject to, cr to corruption. And that's why we see things fall apart. That's why we see that there are birth defects. That's why we see that we all have certain limitations in life. And also it would explain why you have crossing wires, why it's possible for somebody to have been born uh, with uh, sexual desires of the same gender. And yet, God is not the author of that of that uh, particular desire. Uh, it is the, the corruption, the creation, just like we would not say that God has made somebody specifically uh, disabled, uh, that, that it's just a consequence of what's going on in the creation. And if that's true about sexual desire, it's not beyond impossible to imagine that with some people, uh, they are born with a certain physical bio, uh, gender, uh, but in their minds, uh, the, the, the wires got crossed, and mentally, a lot of the elements of the other gender are present. And there are a few people who are born with both sets of genitalia, and in fact, the doctor at birth has to decide which one he's going to express. Uh, and it's very possible that doctor uh, chose wrongly, and it was really supposed to be the other gender. And um, so, well, there are people who might have legitimate struggles in this respect, in terms of gender, between their what they think and feel versus what they have biologically. But we also need to affirm Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. God made us in his image, male and female, he made us. That in the sight of God, there are only and will always only be two genders. In a lot of ways, this whole gender identity thing is treated as its own form of babble because man is fighting against the quote-unquote restrictions God has put in place and striving against biology. Now, there are a lot of people who are experiencing transgender issues, trying to put it as neutrally as we can, and many people in our culture wants to celebrate them for their quote-unquote bravery or their quote-unquote strength on their quote-unquote fight. Uh, and, and, and in culture, this is all being looked at and framed very positively. But again, let's compare it to Babel. 
where man was striving against the purposes and intentions of God. Uh, that was not considered to be, in Scripture, to be seen as a very noble fight. That it was, in fact, a resisting of God's purposes. And so, we have a very stark comparison with Babel here. Because, indeed, in culture, uh, these individuals who are, for whatever reasons, fighting who they are. Because they feel like they are disordered. That they are being commended for that fight because they're resisting the way things are in their, in, in, in their biological reality. Uh, and, and they are being praised for attempting to resist those things. And to transform somehow, uh, going against the way God has made them, or how they how they have how they have been uh, their particular struggles and trials, we'll say, as opposed to uh, maybe finding a way of living with 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 their feelings and finding a way of 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 uh, of channeling their issues to God in a productive way that leads to His glory and honor. And, and we're not seeing that in culture. We're not seeing that being promoted in culture. <coughs> and it's a monument to our own greatness, the way they're doing it. Complete lack of concern for the realities under which we live. And so these are very difficult issues anyway. And and um, a lot of times it's very easy to have very cut and dry, black and white views on, on matters of same-sex attraction and gender. And yet, when it comes to the transgender issue, there is a, a lot of questions, a lot of, of situations where there, you could certainly see where somebody might have a case, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so, there are already difficult issues, and they're not made any better by these ungodly and anti-godly attitudes uh, manifest in those who made a babble out of their views on sexuality. And that's, and that's why it's helpful for us sometimes when we see how culture is, is parading itself, and, and so it, it, uh, proud of itself with its newfound sexual liberation, and its casting off of restraint, to really look at it very similarly to those people who so many years ago all joined on the field of Shinar, and in their, and in their glory and in their fear, build this large monument to say, we, we are going to make a name for ourselves, and so that we're not scattered across the whole earth. And to recognize that that's what a lot of people are doing in terms of sexuality, that they're trying to maintain control, they're trying to glorify themselves and glorify their accomplishments, when all it really is is resistance to God's purposes, and God will find a way of knocking it down, just like he knocked down the Tower of Babel. Now, does this mean that all the instruments by which people do this are automatically condemned? No. No. Um... Building isn't inherently condemned, so use of contraception or fertility treatments. And there are some cases where, in, in terms of, of transgender, uh, where we can have great compassion. Um, but we don't have the right to fight God's purposes. That those who are struggling with things, they still need to recognize what God has said is true, and that they cannot fight against it. Uh, we should not rebel in the name of control and living up to cultural standards. Instead, we have a very difficult task ahead of us, and that is to, to consider what is the appropriate use of things like this without allowing them to turn to a new Babel among us. And, and the thing that we need to keep doing and always keeping in mind is that we're trying to seek it, to glorify and honor God and His purposes for His people and all that we think and feel and do. 
And so in the midst of all of this confusion about sexuality in the world, we do well to return to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexually deviant behavior, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, it solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. That there's a way in which we can deal with whatever issues we have going on sexually that glorifies God, that, that allows us to live our lives in, in holiness and sanctification, which is God's will for us to use our vessels in a holy way and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. So let us not stand for the babble. Let's not go for all the ways cultures resist God. But instead, let us live in a very countercultural way by standing firm for the principles of God and living in holiness and honor to His glory. I take and thank you for your interest in, in spiritual things. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard here. If you have any questions about these issues, and there are many questions that we can have, very difficult issues, please hope that you not take anything that's been said to an extreme or to go beyond how I've tried to phrase it. Because I understand that there are a lot of people who are participating in some of these things, uh, but who are not doing it in a way to, to glorify themselves or to build a babble, but instead uh, are seeking to glorify God in their circumstances. Um, if there's anything you'd like to talk about more in terms of this or other issues, uh, if you'd like to learn how to become a Christian, any way that we, I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through our website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you are interested in learning more about Adventure to Christ, coming and, and visiting with us, um, please find us online at adventurechristchrist.org, and we're also on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.